Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom and Dawn Lister, she, her. From the Heart is recorded in Lee-on-Sea in Essex, United Kingdom. We are thrilled, excited and delighted to welcome Lisa Horwell, a very dear friend of Daniel's and mine, who is an incredible local yoga therapist, sound healer and priestess, which I have to know all about. Didn't know you were a priestess. Very excited to hear what that's about. Um, yo, uh, Lisa's yoga therapy is involved in women's well-being and she specializes also in yoga for addiction or helping support people who have um, issues with addiction that need some support. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, but probably talking about loads of other stuff. We usually do, don't we? Um, Lisa is also a mum of four and a grandmother of one. Welcome to Grandma's Club. It's a great club. We love Grandma Club. Um, so welcome, Lisa. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you. Hi, Dom. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Lisa. Mm -hmm. Daniel. What's going on? What's happening in your world this week? Give me some news. Hello, Dawn. Hi, Lisa. Um, my pronouns are he, him. Um, what is going on in my week this week? Um, this, it feels like I'm kind of in that point where I'm kind of waiting because next week or in a couple of weeks, we're able to open the studio up. So you're probably listening to this now and everything's hopefully reopened, but it feels like there's a bit of anticipation in the air from myself. Um, I think I'm kind of savouring those last few moments of, you know, not being so public facing <laughs> um, and kind of just getting ready um, to, to teach real people again. And uh, I've had the fortune um being a yoga therapist that I've been able to um, have some one-to-ones in person with people and it feels quite strange being in front of people again it feels weird to be able to see them I'm used to just seeing like head and shoulders or a bit of a body <laughs> depending on where their camera is facing and it just it's been very unusual being in the presence of anyone other than you Dawn who I've seen and my husband <laughs> so yeah I, yeah I'm just kind of in a week of reflection so I think that's where I am today how are you doing Dawn? Yeah, I'm good. You've been swimming as well, though, haven't you? I've seen some pictures of your feet. Oh, I have. I thought I would. Um, yeah, I thought I'd not bore people anymore. <laughs> I, actually, I dragged Lisa swimming a few weeks ago. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, was, I'm, go on. It was really cold when Lisa and I went. <laughs> I'm almost at the point of getting my costume out of the attic. Okay, well, I will be texting you to say... Get it out, dust it down. Come on, we're going um, in the estuary. Shake out the cobwebs. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm really, I'm having a, I'm having a really, you know, those weeks where it kind of, you go deep, I'm going deep. Um, and yeah, I'm feeling good. After our, we just, we just recorded a couple of podcasts with Jude Mills, who I thought was incredible. I really loved, and we've kind of vibed off each other a little bit on various forums. And um, I just really thought she was amazing. And she reminded me of somebody I'd forgotten about, Joan Halifax. Um, 
It is Joan Halifax, isn't it? Am I talking about the right person, Daniel? Have yeah, you? she wrote that book, How to Be With Dying. How to Be With Dying, that's it. So as everybody is bored to death of hearing about with my mesopausal brain, I don't remember anyone's names or anything. I just kind of basically remember the context of everything. And when she was speaking about this book, Being With, Being with the Dying, I thought, that sounds incredible. I'm going to order it. So I did. I've already got the book. didn't realise that. I had, I had it ages ago, but I'd forgotten the title <laughs> and forgotten the name. And I've spent this week listening to everything on YouTube that Joan Halifax has ever done. She's been my constant companion on my walks, on everywhere that I've been. And it's, she's profound. You know, she's, she's a, a Zen nun. And, you know, she was an anthropologist in a previous life. And she's got <laughs> a pious center. I'm impressed. I remembered all that. Maybe my menopause is passing. That's that'd be a good thing. But she she was incredible. So I've I've really enjoyed kind of going into her teachings. Um, very pragmatic, very practical, very embodied in the real world. Sometimes with Buddhism and um, some of the spiritual practices, I feel like people can get can become a little bit disconnected, a little bit in their heads. Where um, I really feel like she's kind of looking at how those practices can be applied in in the real world and in our real life so i i've had her in my ear for a week i've fallen asleep with her we've had breakfast together we've she's walked with me to work and so yeah i'm, I'm feeling yeah i'm feeling really uh feeling really good feeling peaceful and sit like you savoring these last few weeks of quiet being an introvert i don't want everything to reopen well i do but i want to stay inside which is what i probably will do everyone will go out i'll stay at home so that's me. I rambled, but I always ramble. So we're all good. Lisa, what about you? What have you been doing? How are things with you? Well, this morning I've been to Wickford and I work in a recovery centre called Action on Addiction. So um, it was my second week there um, and they're split into two groups due to the, the COVID restrictions. So last week was a session with five women that are recovering from alcoholism, heroin, crack, cocaine. And it was amazing. It was lovely to have all women uh, in the group and they um, all felt empowered and back in their bodies again by just one session. And then this week I turned up and we had one gentleman. So I had six women and one gen. And again, it was that feeling that I'm actually doing what I'm meant to be doing. So like that feeling that this is where I'm meant to be. I love what I do. And then I come home and I've created a little nest for myself. You've, you've always a good laugh at my little nest. So there is a bean bag with an anti-anxiety cushion and a hot water bottle. <laughs> and I know you two can see me now. This is my um, barrier against COVID and it's called Vicks. <laughs> so I'm actually rubbing some Vicks on my feet now while we're talking. And um, I must say that I've got two little dogs here as well. And sometimes they really wind me up, especially when I'm on Zoom, because they, they lick one another and make a weird noise. So if you hear any licking in the background, that is my animals. And um, apart from that, yeah, I'm all good. It's all good. Thank you for asking me to share with you too today. And that was a dog snorting, by the way, if you heard that. <laughs> I love it. your dog's names. You have cool names. What remind us the names of your dog? So I have a chug called Flea. Is a combination of a, a pug and a Chihuahua, and I have a little tiny Chihuahua, long-haired, uh, called Wolfie. And uh, yeah, they're both 
pretty fierce little lap dogs. Oh, I always, I've always had dog in. I've always had dog envy. I've had two things with you: hair envy and dog envy. I want your hair and I want your dogs. Well, you can have both. I'm happy to share with your dog. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So tell us, Lisa, how did you come to be doing what you're doing? How did you come to be working in addiction? Well, um, it wasn't the plan, you know, if I thought about where I was going and what I was doing and my ambitions and goals when I was 16, uh, it wasn't to be, you know, where I am today. So I just know that um, my higher power has got other plans for me. And I, I share that in terms of that what brought me to yoga was post-traumatic stress. And that was when I was 25. But prior to that, I was working in the theatre. So I've always been drawn to being creative, um, to the arts, to dancing, to music. You know, it was my passion. So uh, from that creative um, career um, I ended up absolutely broken at 25 on a yoga mat and thinking to myself and this is where the swearing will start what the fuck <laughs> like, literally what the fuck I was broken physically mentally and spiritually and then from that first yoga class it's carried on 25 years of practice, teaching, studying, um, and being a yogi, really, you know, being, not doing yoga, being yoga. So that's where, that's where, that's what happened. <laughs> End of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say it is about yoga, which people maybe wouldn't put yoga and addiction together? What would you say for you it is about yoga and, do, and the, being involved in the practice that supports people who are struggling with addiction? Um, well, I can only share for myself and my own experiences, but what I experienced in a yoga class, the very first session, was that feeling of surrender. Mm. And, that, and it was like, I am done. I am absolutely broken. If I carry on the way I carry on, I'm going to have a breakdown, I'm going to kill myself, or I'm just going to be uh, existing, not living, not thriving. So I think it was my first experience of yoga was surrender. Just stop, mm. get grounded. And then as a result of that, um, that is in alignment with the 12 steps in terms of that, you know, we have to surrender to the truth of that moment. So that moment was that, you know, the post-traumatic stress that I experienced at that time when I was 25 was a culmination of many months, years, decades of unmanageability in my life. And it caught up with me big time. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of come to a full stop when I, when I attended my first yoga class. So in that first yoga class, I had a spiritual experience and the spiritual experience was, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. All you need to do is let go, let go, surrender, let go of all of the pain that you're feeling, all the anxieties, all the fear, 
just let go. And I experienced that at um, Clement's Hall, you know, in Hawkwell. Mm. And I think, like, in life, sometimes there's these moments that, you know, that, like they say, don't they, you know, you, the right teacher appears when you're ready. And the right teacher for me was a, a yogi called Myra Nicole. Mm. So she was, uh, I think, Satananda tradition and Ayenda. And she was an amazing teacher in terms of that at the end of that class, what I know today was that she gave a full yoga nidra session. So there was the hatha yoga, the, the asana, the breathing, the pranayama practices. And then there was this bliss where it was a proper yoga nidra. And then because of the issues that I went to her with, I know today that what she taught me was womb yoga, which is in alignment with Umadins Motuli and that kind of Shakti movement of healing the womb, the yoni. And what that teacher did for me was um, she offered me a safe space. I began to heal. I went from once a week to twice a week. It was the, the highlight of my life at the time, was just, just to get to, to Clement's Hall and practice. And then she did me a cassette recording because at the time I was often traveling a lot with my, with my life and um, I had a little cassette and it was all the Shakti banders, you know, the sequence for women to, to um, bring power and energy back into their womb because at that time my post-traumatic stress had uh, dissociated me from life. I was there, but I wasn't there. I was frozen. I had hypervigilance, I had flashbacks. So this little kind of mir miraculous yogi at Clements Hall changed my life. How amazing is that? So I'm forever grateful to her. And a few years back, you know, the yoga show, like it kind of drags out everybody, doesn't it? The yoga show in, uh, is it Alexander Palace? And there she was, I hadn't seen her for 20 years. And it was like, hello, Myra. And I don't think sometimes we, we realise as yogis and yoga teachers and therapists, the effect that we have on people's lives, you know, it is big, massive, huge. So gratitude for the yogis. Mm. That's, a, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. that. I, I wanted to, when you said um, the word surrender, mm. I wanted to just pick that up because There'll be people hopefully listening to this who maybe are struggling in their lives at the moment with some form of addiction. And actually, I'd like to talk about that as well. So you can choose what you want to talk about first. Like, mm. what is addiction? Like, what would you, I mean, I feel that there's, in some ways, most of us have some form of addiction or other. Um, some people maybe are functioning with their addictions, although that's debatable. Mm. Um, and maybe let's start there let's say how would you describe addict what is addiction how how could that show up in people's lives so um that's it's a massive question dawn and um, I, I think whoever you ask that question to they will probably have a different response de depending on what they believe mm -hmm. and what they've conceded to their innermost truth about their addiction and their addiction behaviors so one of the models of addiction is called the codependency tree, and it's actually a picture of a tree. 
and in it's very similar to the uh, tree of yoga you know that kind of there's branches that go to back to yoga there's a branch that goes to karma yoga hatha yoga so this visual image of this tree says that there are addictions that could be substance abuse so it could be that somebody's using pain medication that is big massive huge at the moment especially in america um, it could be heroin, crack, cannabis, nicotine. So there's substances that people can abuse. Now, in all the addictions, I'm going to go through more of the addictions, is that you are, you are doing something, whether it's a behaviour, a drug, a drink, or even another person, when you know you shouldn't be. You've crossed the line. So it is that filling with a drink, a drug, a behaviour, work, sex, there's over 200 different fellowships, and I'm talking about 12-step programs, for all different addictions. So my belief in, in, in understanding addiction or my own addiction, and I can only talk for myself, and one of the things that I had fear about sharing in this podcast was that I have two separate lives, yeah? My separate life is that my recovery is first. And that means that I go to meetings, I have a sponsor and I work a program, 12 step program. That's my first primary purpose in life to do that. And then the other side is that what I bring from that into being a yoga therapist, yoga teacher, a sound healer and a, and a sacred space holder. And the part that they meet in the middle is that there's, there's a word anonymous, right? Now, breaking my anonymity to come on here and do this podcast creates fear in me because I think well I'm not in a room now wherever this podcast goes is going to be out people are going to be listening to it to it people are going to be making judgments and and whatever on whatever I share so for me the separate part is that what happens in recovery stays in recovery stays in the rooms because otherwise people would say oh, yeah, yeah, I listened to that podcast and she shared this and she shared that. They could be making assumptions about me. And if at some point, you know, I'm representing the 12-step programs, I have a relapse, yeah, so I pick up a drink or a drug, people that have listened to the podcast could say, well, you know what, she said that she was 16 years sober and clean. Guess what? She's drunk. She's had a breakdown. She's had a relapse. So I'm really, really protective about like my recovery, that's first, and then my work as a yoga therapist. So you're asking me what I do I understand about the disease of addiction. I believe that at some point in our addictive behaviours, and it could be work, people, places, sex, gambling, um, substances, that we cross a line. So it fills a hole in the soul. Like if you're an alcoholic, the effect of alcohol on an alcoholic is different from a normal drinker or a heavy drinker in terms of that it has a, an allergic reaction. And this is what I discovered when I went into the 12-step program is that Lisa's enzymes in her gut react differently to Dawn's or Daniel's, yeah? We could drink the same drink. I could have one. You could have one. I would have a craving. It would set off a craving that craving would mean that I wouldn't be able to stop. So it's a physical allergy with alcoholism and it can be the same with substances as well. It could be that, you know, somebody likes to smoke cannabis and you might have two 
two stoners, yeah? One stoner, yeah, I just like to get to stoned. And then the other stoner, they want to stay stoned. They do not. They do not want to wake up to reality. So whatever drink drug behaviour, that becomes normal. And, and the abnormal becomes normal, if that makes sense. So really it is um, being full flight from reality, physical allergy, mental obsession. Now the mental obsession is interesting because what the mental obsession means is that at any time we are thinking about when we can drink, use or change the way we feel. So the obsession could be for uh, love, it could be for sex, it could be for work. It's like whatever addiction or behavior you're using to fill a hole in the cell. Yeah, and, and I believe, so we've got the physical, the mental, the allergy, and we've also got what is called the hole in the cell. So this kind of, the hole in the cell was described to me as like, um, the more whatever behaviour it is, you need more of it. So you keep doing more and more and more and uh, you become dependent on it. But the effects on your, on your spirit or your soul is that you are feeling anxious if you're not doing it. You're feeling depressed. You might be feeling suicidal. So the hole in the soul is the, is the space where the 12 steps feel for a spiritual way of living, a spiritual program, prayer, meditation. So the, the yoga and that filling that hole and becoming dependent upon a higher power, surrendering, for me was that, yeah, I've got my 12 steps. I've got a good understanding of yoga. Uh, I always know that my recovery is first in front of me yoga, but they complement each other. Mm. Um. So what I'd like to say about the disease of addiction is that it's progressive, it gets worse, doesn't get better. Um, and that at the end of the day, it's jails, institution or death. Now, the idea that we're not going to die, but you can, you can die a horrible, messy, addictive life. You know, as a result of being in the programme for, you know, a long while now, every year I get friends with somebody and like, I think I hope and I pray that they get this. But there's always part of me sometimes that has this premonition that they're not going to get it and they're going to die from it. And it's sad, it's lonely, it's isolating. And, uh, and it happens. And so many people I know now have died and I, don't, I can't even remember their names of who they are, you know? So, yeah. What a happy, joyous subject we're talking about today. Oh, my God. Sorry, Daniel. No, no, I just think... It's just testament, Lisa, to the work that you've done and the surrender that you've given to this, you know, and just how, how addiction is so misunderstood by so many people. You know, there's such a huge amount of shame around addiction and, and saying those words, I am an addict, which, you know, as part of the 12-step programme, they encourage you to do to admit actually this is this is what's going on for me i just think you know it's so powerful what you just shared there lisa because addiction's prevalent in our society and you know i'll speak freely about myself as well you know i've i've really struggled with addictive parts of my life and you know 
thankfully, from my from my understanding of my addictions, is I I had to understand what that hole was, and what needed to what needed to fill that hole. And when I started to do that, my addiction felt less, felt didn't didn't feel powerful. Mm. Um, and I think you know it's such a it's such a difficult it's such a difficult subject to talk about this because people are so scared of it. Mm. And I think it would be useful to maybe hear your experience of you know being in those meetings and how do you, how 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 do you make someone feel safe mm. and able to you know say that thing that might be so deeply hidden within themselves mm. yeah i think what you said there was that the shame and that is what kind of you can't get rid of the shame of what you're doing and how you're behaving um the guilt you know, the guilt that, you know, you might be spending money that you shouldn't be spending. You might be um, hanging out with people that you know that are not in alignment with where you should be at your life or whatever. And the remorse. So that kind of like it is it becomes very, very negative and toxic and that you can't look at yourself in the mirror anymore. And you just think, who is this person? You know, who am I? You lose yourself. You're lost. Nikki Myers, who's one of my teachers who developed Y12SR, she calls it the disease of the lost self. So you lose yourself. And it, like, she calls it like a codependency. She believes that under all addictions, there is codependency. And that means that um, you're either trying to care, rescue, control, or enable. So they're usually the first addictive behaviours that come in. And it could be that you're controlling your food, you're controlling the way people see you, you're controlling this image of being like Peter Perfect or something like that. And what actually happens with addiction in the end is that there is what's called the fuck it button. You don't care. You don't care what people think because you're just off and running with it. And it's painful, really, really painful. So what you were saying to me, what is it like when, when somebody comes into a 12-step um, meeting is to get to that point in their life, the, the people that are already in the room knows that it takes so much courage, so much strength. And maybe they have had a awakening in some way that they have conceded to their innermost selves that they are an addict or an alcoholic or whatever they are. Now that conceding to your innermost self, and this is really interesting because you've just reminded me of something that happened to me. Uh, there's this kind of pre-contemplative stage before you wake up in it for, for anything, you know, like I know something's wrong with me. I don't know what it is. I can either push it down and deny it, which is denial. Don't even know I am lying. But every now and then you think, yeah, I actually have got a problem and I can't mask it anymore. I had these nightmares and in these nightmares, I've always had a lot of kind of night terrors, um, you know, running around the room screaming and all that stuff. I don't do them so much now in the last few years, so I must be healing somewhere. Um, that my throat, though, so the Vajudi Chakra, it was like itching and burning and scratching. And it was like my truth, the truth of who I was, was coming up. And I think the, the combination of doing lots of yoga, yoga, practice, pranayama, meditation prayer was taking me in and it was taking me into what was like purgatory 
the gates of hell. Inside me, I was terrified. But this, this power come up and it was like my own truth and I was scratching at my throat and what I was trying to say in my dreams was, I am an alcoholic, I am an alcoholic. So it was kind of like um, the truth will come out when it's meant to come out and that's the thing about recovery. You know, every rehab that I work in, you see people there and you think, do you really want to be there or was mum and dad just put you in there? You know, you're, six, you're 18, you're 19. You know, it happens when the person's ready for it. But if they come into the rooms, they will be welcomed. They are encouraged to identify with the similarities, not the differences. Hopefully the, the space is really, really safe in terms of anonymity. And um, just, just listen, you know. They, they say take cotton wool out of your ears and shove it in your mouth. Literally, begin to listen and learn. Open your mind, you know, you know. And I feel, I feel for me, it was the first place that I felt, oh, I belong here. I'm a tri I'm in this tribe, definitely. Whereas I'd been in yoga tribes, and I'd always felt like I was on the outside because of this dark secret that I was carrying around. That I wasn't super spiritual. I was like, kind of spiritual, but still kind of fucked as well. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And I love some of the expressions that you used around, you know, there's the sort of hole in the soul. I think mm. that was the, is that the expression you used. Yeah. I, it kind of really resonated with me when you said that, it kind of gave me the chills. I think mm. um, I, my feeling around this is that, you know, our soul is whole. You know, in its in its essence, but our suffering gets in the way of our able to be in that space, be in our soul space. And I think, from what I, I mean, I've not been involved in a twelve step program, but I've read a lot about it and um, spoken to people who've been in. It seems that that really does something to heal those spaces that where there's maybe tears or trauma that has created. And correct me if I'm wrong, I might be on the wrong page here altogether, that they may have created the cause for an addiction to arise. Would, that, would you agree with that? Is that on kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, um, I think fear underlies all addiction. Fear. And they call it insidious in, in the rooms. It's like fear of being sober, fear of your own potential, fear of, you know... Um, being in alignment with your soul, you know, it's because like the ego would say, well, you know, it's great being really, really super spiritual, but at the end of the day, I, I'm interested in power and prestige and money. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there's two sides in there. There's like the ego and they believe that uh, addicts have uh, big egos, big, massive egos, right? show-offs. And, and then at the same time, they have really, really low self-esteem. And that's what I identified with, but that my self-esteem was really low from, from childhood onwards. I become a big, massive show-off. Don't laugh, Daniel. Look at him. He's smirking there. I can still be a big, massive show-off. But the self-esteem for me has gone up, and it's not gone up because uh, I think I'm wonderful, or I think I'm amazing, or I think I'm really intelligent. It's gone up because I do esteemable things. So it's like being able to help others, turning up, giving them a ride, 
picking up the phone, you know, welcome them into my home and just saying, we'll have a cup of tea and come and have a chat. You know, so like I, I know now that um, I would not be who I am without the addiction. So I am really, really grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Um, with the with, turning about talking about trauma and and uh, is that behind addiction? Who knows, right? Sometimes you you listen to people's shares and you think, well, oh my god, that happened when she was five. Obviously, she's become an alcoholic as a result of that, right? And then there's other people, and this is this is for myself included, is that every single traumatic effect event that's happened in my life has helped me to thrive. So I'm I'm of the belief of survive and thrive, yeah. And and like uh, it's called post traumatic growth, isn't it? But that's not for everybody, yeah. And then sometimes there's the 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 the, the, the family disease of addiction. And what that means is that in a family, there might have been an alcoholic dad or mum. There might have been a sister on pain medication. There could have been a dad that was working. So in that family, there was a dysfunctional behaviour. Now, again, you could say, yeah, this is why I am one of these, because of everybody else around me. That's one way to look at it. But one of the things I love, and this is comes from a, an old timer, in, in the rooms, and that's somebody that's kind of like, they've been sober 30, 40 years. He says, right, if I say, oh, like, I come from a dysfunctional family, he laughs and he says to me, well, of course, because you're dysfunctional, because <laughs> you're the dysfunction in the family. So I know it sounds like a bit weird that we would laugh about dysfunction, trauma, addiction and recovery. But I think when you've been through it and you've been miserable as sin and you've been suicidal and you've been negative and you've had stinking thinking, you know, going into the rooms and laughing your head off at the insanity of it is just amazing. I think, Lisa, when you can laugh about something shows that you're able to see it from various angles. Yeah. And it shows actually by laughing about it, you take some of the power out of it, don't you? You know, because, you know, it's not trivialising it because it happened and it was painful and you're still reverberating from it at some level. But the fact that you've spent time looking at it from all different angles, you can it's up to you, isn't it, to, you know, make a joke out of it and, and lighten it in some way. Yeah. There's this, um, there's the saying from Nicky Myers again, there's, there's history in the hysteria. So, like, the hysterics that come out, the laughing, the fun, the joy, and then on the other side of it, the tears, you know. It's like, I remember when I did that first uh, yoga nidra yeah, 25 years ago, I hadn't cried and I'm not a crier, you know, I really struggle to, to cry. Um, I am more of a numb, a numb emotion. So that was, that's been a pattern with me. And I remember the laying there in yoga nidra and just like one little kind of teardrop coming down out of my eye, rolling down my cheek and me thinking, oh, that feels amazing. That is so wonderful. And when I, when I do yoga nidra now with people, especially in the rehabs, I see it all the time, you know, these big gnarly men that have got all these tattoos, love and hate. And I just see these little tiny tears that just roll down and I kind of very, um, 
go over, just give them a little tissue and just acknowledge that it's okay to have a little tear or it's okay to have a little laugh, you know, it's, it's healing. Thank you, Lisa. That's, it's really humbling to hear these stories. And it feels hopeful, you know, it feels hopeful. That's that's the thing that comes that comes to my mind. And and the two other things that came to my mind as I was listening was a, a sense of um, being able to step up and take responsibility feels quite mm. important. Like I'm responsible for my actions. This is where I am right now. And I think that that ties in perhaps with surrender as well, because I guess we're taking responsibility and saying this is where I'm right now. And, you know, I'm only I can be responsible for my behavior and my actions. Mm. Um, there's a, a true surrender that comes along with that. And that was the other word that I wanted to talk to you about um, just a little bit more. Because um, surrender, I think, often can be really misunderstood, mm. you know, kind of like being seen as like a giving up, whereas I kind of more see it as like um, an acceptance or even a giving away. It's like, I'm not going to hold on to this stuff anymore. I'm not going to try and fight it I'm not going to try and change it um I'm not going to pass the buck I'm not going to try and drown myself in I don't know work drink whatever it happens to be I'm I'm going to surrender to the truth as it shows up in this moment and everything that that means and I think that can be deeply frightening because if you aren't skilled and you don't know well if I've got all this pain that I'm suddenly going to have to look at because I can't go and work. I mean, my, my, if I was going to be addicted to anything, it'd be work. I can't go work my way through it. Um, or I can't, you know, whatever your particular drug of choice might be. Mm-hmm. If you aren't told up and you have to cope with the feelings that are left behind, then what do you do? So that's why these programs are so incredibly, incredibly useful. And certainly for me, the practice of yoga, and that's what we're talking about a little bit here today, mm-hmm has been a way, it's like a refuge, you know, it's a place where I start to notice now in recent years when I am overworking and well, why am I doing that? Because I notice my body's getting tired or I'm exhausted or I'm numbed up a little bit. I'll I'll notice that because the practice takes me inward so I can become aware of my own personal experience. And I think without, for me, I can't speak about anybody else, but without that embodied practice, it can be really easy to just go down a route where you are numbed up and you're just being very reactive. Well, I don't know, could you, could you speak a little bit more about that perhaps? Yeah, I can. As we're talking about this, I'm going off in a tangent on, in my own brain. Um, I think this taking ownership is like saying, this is who I am. Do I want to change? Do I want to carry on to the bitter end or do I want to try a new way of life? And that is like liberation and freedom just for today. And I think the fear in addicts and alcoholics or anybody that's got any kind of uh, crux in life is that who will I be without this thing, without my work? You know, that, that identification of the ego to Dawn, Daniel, Lisa, And I think when you're willing to let that go, and I think all the way through life, we are continuing to let go of how we identify ourselves as a, as a mum, as a teacher, as a, whatever you are, whatever you identify yourself. But in the 12 step program, there is this uh, practice and it's very similar to what we learned with Rod Stryker, which is, which was, I think he, I think Rod Stryker pulled out Vichara on some kind of training 
on a day four, and by the end of it, we all wanted to kill ourselves. Do you remember that day, Daniel? A joyous <laughs> day in London. <laughs> well, Le- Le- Lisa and I did did quite a few trainings with Rod Stryker, and we had a little routine, didn't we? Where we'd meet we'd meet up every lunchtime and go and sit on our park bench and just kind of hold each other and just be like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> I feel like I've been pulled apart and put back together. Yeah. <laughs> and then make sure we'll get the train home together after, didn't we, to make sure both of us were all right. <laughs> what, was, what was the practice you were doing that was so destructive and so exhausting? Oh, it wasn't destructive. It was just deep, deep. Uh, yeah contemplative work oh i see well you said you said you wanted to die but my god what have they been doing i want to avoid that one (laughs) that's interesting so what it is is avoiding your truth right and the the vichara is kind of seeing yourself as you really are isn't it it's kind of like this is my inventory this is the way i'm behaving in the 12 steps there is a, a process where you look at yourself and you look at all your fears all your resentments in life I had fear of spiders and thunderstorms, like irrational fears. Then I had fears of like institutions, uh, receptionists, like, like just random stuff. And then resentments, and they could go way, way back, you know, uh, back in your past when somebody might have nicked your favourite Polly Pocket from your school bag, you know, that girl. You've still got resentment against her. Or they could be like, uh, you know, resentment, fears, sex harms and um, harms to others, I think the other thing is. So my brain's going down now, so this is the, in the wind-down bit. But this, this taking ownership and this surrendering is finding out your part in it. So it's never, ever, ever, ever about the other person, thing, place. It's always about you saying, right, in this situation, I am resentful at, what did they do? What did it affect? Did it affect my personal relations, my self-esteem, my social security, um, my sex relations? Yeah. So that is like, that's like, I, I've got defensive because of this. You know, I could lose my house, could lose my boyfriend, uh, my, my persona, you know, am I willing? That's what is disturbed. And what is my part in it? Now, this is the really good part. This is the part where we say, you know what? I am being selfish. The reason why I'm being selfish is because I want things to go my way. If they go my way, I'm going to be happy. If they're not going to go my way, I'm going to be even more resentful. So that resentment will breed a cycle of more and more resentment. Now, the resentment can trigger us back to uh, drinking or drugging or behaviour. So it's really important that we identify our resentments on a daily basis. And then, so from the selfish, self-pity. So I know like as yoga teachers and yoga therapists, along the way we meet people in a therapeutic relationship that are, when I, I'm not saying wallow in it, but get something out of being the victim. And, and recovery really isn't about victimization. It's about, or martyr, or being a martyr. It's about saying like, this has happened. What have I learned from it? I'm moving on. So this is where this survive and thrive comes in. doesn't mean to say that in that process, people don't have a space where they feel safe and they can share. You know, I have, I've had ongoing counselling throughout all of my recovery because I need it. But that's my little safe space that I go to. So you've got selfish, self-seeking, self-seeking, like obviously showing off and making yourself feel bigger and better than you are, being frightened, 
being dishonest, you know, are you being true about this thing, whatever it is? What is your dishonesty? Or are you being inconsiderate? So sometimes, like, um, for me, you know, sometimes I think, well, I wish this person would behave in this way and then everything would be all right. But what I don't take into consideration, that person is exactly where they're meant to be at that time in their life, behaving the way that they're meant to be behaving. And my part is that I'm inconsiderate to think that they can behave in any other way. So this, like... um, really really thoroughly looking at yourself on a daily basis not just like oh one once a week every single day and night taking inventory um and that and that is in alignment with yoga as well so both of them are disciplines it's like there's no there's no easy way out for for me as a complicated person because it is a mental illness i identify myself as having a mental illness yeah, you can smile about that. Everyone's like, going, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I just think you're speaking such truths. You know, I just, I'm just, I'm sitting here, part of my brain is going, who can we send this podcast to? <laughs> How can we make sure people are listening? I think it's really, it sounds really helpful and it, it just sounds, it, it's honest, it's truthful and it's accessible. And my, here's my, I want to ask you a really honest question. You'll probably just, Tell me I'm being self something or other. I'm not sure which it is, but there's a self something going on there. <laughs> I'm probably all of them at the same time. So if, if you feel like there's somebody in your life or somebody you care for that perhaps has an addiction problem, what should you do? Um, well, you've got choices. That's the thing. They've got choices, you've got choices. If the person in your life has got an addictive issue, there is a place for you to go as somebody that is affected by other people's addictions, and that is called Al-Anon. So that is a fellowship on its own. And you go there and you go, and and there'll be men and women and kids and whatever sat there, and they'll be saying, you know, the addict or the alcoholic in my life, this is how it affects me. This is how it triggers my illness. Because if you think about, like, who would really want to live with an addict or an alcoholic if they're selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate, inconsiderate and frightened? Right? If they're in the disease, right, what is that person getting out of it? Now, for a lot of people, Alanons, and they call them the poor Alanons, right? In Alcoholics Anonymous, they call them poor Alanons. It's, it's, it's entwined. They started off at the same time, so all the alcoholics sat together and then there was all these wives and husbands that were married to these people saying well actually their life's getting better they're all laughing joking living a spiritual way of living what about us so they formed their own little fellowship over there so what you learn about is that you if you are affected by somebody else's addiction is that you are powerless over people places and things so it's like you can go and work on your own recovery and then you can signpost them to theirs you can say you know there's 12 steps for that you don't have to enable, control them, caretake or rescue for them. And that also goes for uh, children as well. There is a fellowship called Adult Children of Alcoholics, ACA. And that is how uh, you are affected by your parents' addiction. You know, what kind of behaviours that sets in motion, coping mechanisms. So if you go to a, a, um, a convention, and we have conventions all over the world, pre, post, pre-COVID, you will have 
the alcoholics and you'll have the Al-Anon, right? So you'll have Al-Anon meetings, you can go and listen to them, you can go to the AA meetings, NACA, there's all these different meetings. And then um, you see families there, families that are in recovery. So the mums, the dads, the kids, everybody. And then at the end of it, there's this massive, great big rave and a dance or a dinner and everyone's sober and clean and everyone's just enjoying life and, you know, grateful that their life has changed. Oh, that sounds incredible. That's such a useful thing to know that there's a place to go if there's somebody in your life who's creating an impact for you. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, there, that's I'm always my first thought is what are you getting out of that if you're sticking around with all that going on? I think sometimes, you know, um, there's some might be a child in your life or, you know, an extended family member. It might not be somebody you're living with or a colleague or a really close friend. You can see clearly is using some, some form of addiction to cope with very distressing feelings that they're not able to be with for whatever reason. And I just wondered... And I was thinking when I knew we were going to be talking, it was a question that had come to me because it's something that has, you know, has come up for me over the years. Many times I've encountered people that, you know, are clearly in that kind of distress. And I'm thinking, is it my place to say, I think you've got an issue and I think this could help you? Or do you stand back and just hold people in this loving space and then wait for them to come and say, I think I've got a problem. I mean, from a point of view as someone who's an expert in this field, as it were, what would, what would your advice be? Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert, but what I do know is, is that addiction and people that are co-addicts or codependent or uh, would class themselves as Al-Anon, there is really messy boundaries in their families in their relationships so i think if a person realizes that um you know they need help so first of all recognizing that they need help not the other person then they they can begin that their journey and their journey will be that they will have boundaries you know i know you don and you know me and you know what it's been like with our mm. teenagers the wonderful headstrong self-will run riot is that you know sometimes it's about thinking I've got to put my boundaries in place you know their behavior is harming me right their behavior is harmful them to themselves I can signpost them I can say that there is this resource you can go online and do meetings you can you know have the, you don't even have to have your face on it or your name you could be anonymous but then there's that like putting it recovering yourself recovering yourself and and my my other teacher nikki myers she says boundaries like a motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> i have i would so agree lisa i would i can't agree more i've i've, I've had to really learn about boundaries hardcore in the past 10 years of my life and i i mean i still think it's something i i personally have to work on a little bit but i'm very very aware of them so what i'm hearing from you is I was very tactful. I wouldn't have been as tactful as you. You very tactfully said, that's then about that person. So work on yourself and don't worry about the other person. Be there for them. Yeah. It's not so much saying don't worry about the other person, but saying like, I am powerless over that person. If they make a decision to carry on with that behaviour, and it might not be through drink and drugs, mental health or, you know, work or whatever it is, is that we are not powerless. 
So one of the things that I always do is I pray for everybody. So if I'm feeling like um, disconnected emotionally to someone like children or something like that, then I think I need to pray for them. You know, I, will, I might not be there at the moment, but I'm going to pray for them. And it's amazing the power of prayer. You know, it's kind of like just keep praying. Uh, there's a saying in the rooms, the power behind you is greater than the task ahead. And what that means is sometimes like if you are, worried um anxious about somebody it brings you down you know it's draining it's kind of it saps all your energy and i know sometimes you think oh my god i'm so worried and i'm so stressed out about that person you see that person and they're fine <laughs> you've spent two days three weeks for a lifetime worrying about them and they're all right <laughs> so i just think sometimes it's like knowing like this keep it in the day just for today you know, praying for people, hope, hoping that they get sobriety, serenity. And I think, like, one of the things I felt about coming and doing this podcast, right, there is traditions. There's a 12 steps and there's a 12 traditions. And uh, I have issues around, well, my issues are that I try and stay to them, stick to them, because it's really important. But then I thought about all the different podcasts that I've been consuming maybe in the last five years, from people that talk about their recovery. So uh, Russell Brand, obviously, you know, people, a lot of people come into recovery because they've read his book or he's shared about his stuff. So he's somebody that's, he's kind of ignored the fact about, you know, promotion in radio film and he's gone out there, he's made it available. And then there's that, you advised me to listen to Fat Tony. Yeah, I love Fat Tony. He's like, he's hilarious, isn't he? And just so honest, so honest, isn't he? Yeah, and then there's Nicky Myers as well. So I see all these things like your podcast uh, and those other ones as add-ons. They're not a replacement for, they're not a replacement for recovery. You've got to do the work. You've got to turn up if you want it. And that's what I do. And then how do I feel about, you know, coming out about my own addiction and all that is that there was a point when um, I transitioned from yoga teacher to yoga therapist where I was done with teaching normal yoga classes in terms of like, I want to be with people that can really, really help, that will never do yoga, that would never come to a yoga studio, that have been off their heads on heroin or meth or something like that. They're the people that I want to be working with. And that's what I'm doing. You know, and the joy is, is that like yesterday, there was this little 18 year old kid and he's been in for two months in rehab. And uh, my observations are, was he wasn't interested. It wasn't his thing. He was detoxing. So he was really kind of going through withdrawals. And then after two months, yesterday, he said to me, Lisa, I'm so, I've loved this, what we're doing. I love the gong baths. I've loved the yoga. And it's like planted a seed. You know, who knows whether he's going to go off and run in with yoga or not. But he's opened his mind. So that's where that's where I need to be doing my stuff. That's what I do. <laughs> I, I think it's hugely courageous as well to, you know, merge those two things together because actually you could have run them separately, couldn't you? Mm. But you saw you had to bring all that you'd learn from your yoga and all that you'd learn from your recovery and merge those two things together into something that actually if people are willing 
and are able to give surrender themselves to that process they will feel supported they will feel like you said there's there's more behind them than there is in front of them I think that's such a powerful thing for that you've Mm -hmm. done and what an amazing gift that you've given to Mm -hmm. the world Lisa well I think the what I like is that term you can't heal what you don't acknowledge Mm -hmm. so for me I wasn't acknowledging jack shit (laughs) I was in denial I was in blackout I was numb I was dissociative I was post-traumatic stress you know I got myself to a place at 25 where I was broken but as soon as I started to do yoga that begin began the process of healing and it took me to a place where I was open to listen you know to to spiritual principles of recovery and then it kind of like my my sponsor said to me your recovery comes in front of your yoga. And I was like, no, actually, my yoga comes in front of everything in life because I was doing so many classes. It was like, this is what I do. And she said to me, well, okay, you crack on with that and see how you get on. And the reality of it is, is that it's recovery first, three meetings a week, reading the big book, taking people through 12 steps. So that is my spiritual foundation. And then the yoga, it nourishes that as well. I so, I so relate to that, Lisa, and I think out of partly out of a conversation I had with you a long time ago, and and with other people, in that, my, as I've said, my addiction would be overworking, saving and rescuing, and I now use my practices as touchstones to check in with how I'm feeling, and it's that practice that gives me that moment of connecting with myself and to note how I'm feeling and whether and and what how do and it informs what what goes next. And it doesn't always have to be a yoga practice. It might be something else for somebody, for other people. But the pra- that practice, it, it, for me, and I think for you also, really, it creates this beautiful refuge where we can heal our soul, where we can come home to ourselves. And that's really, I think, with our practice, we are being given this opportunity moment by moment throughout our practice to, to come home to this place of peace and 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 surrender over and over again and you said you you no longer teach sort of general room classes and you now work with addicts my practice as a yoga teacher has very much moved to calming and soothing the nervous system and my and mindfulness practices mm. partly because i needed to come out of the place of doing 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 and more into a space that was more reflective and i'm so grateful for all the conversations with the different people i've had they really enabled me to see that for myself. And I, I, I really hope that what you've shared on the podcast today is going to do the same for other people that are maybe in a place of great suffering. Daniel, I can see you've got something to say. I was just I was just keen to hear how you integrate sound and the work that you do with your gongs along with yoga therapy and 12-step recovery because actually that's a that's a unique thing that you have Lisa putting those things together and it'll be really interesting for people to hear about that from you thank you well I um I think it was about six years ago I burnt out I had a yogi burnout and it was a result of my mum dying and then three years later my dad dying and I was just done I was exhausted and I found myself at a yoga festival and it was a yoga back tea gong ecstatic dancing oh it was just wonderful and um I ended up in a gong bath and uh I thought what 
the fuck was that? What, what happened? What the hell happened there? I lay down and then I woke up. Well, I was brought back round again. And the, the profound feeling of healing, immense healing, like I'd never experienced before. Well, maybe I'd experienced it before in Shavasana and Yoga Nidra. But it felt like it, it was something else. So as a result of that one gong bath, I become um, curious. What's, what is this? You know, there's definitely some kind of, there's something in it. And then I went off and did gong master training in Dorset with Don Conroe. And what was really interesting about Don, who is about eight, I'd like to say 180 because he feels that wise. <laughs> but he's probably, he's in his 80s and he's been teaching gong for 55 years, I think. And he said he was, he, back in the day, he was in America and he was with uh, Yogi Bajwan and Kundalini Yoga. And he became like really involved in it. And Yogi Bajwan brought the gong over and he would smash the gong. And he didn't even, it was none of this gentle, twinkly stuff. He would whack it. And he said that the gong was uh, like a, a power tool and it deflated ego, smashed ego. It was the biggest form of exorcism alongside the conch shell, which is a shell that you, you kind of blow in. So like you mentioned like exorcism, power tools, and this, this addict alcoholic was like, yes, I need to do that. And I know that um, <laughs> Russell Brand has been also at Kundalini and gonging as well. So. Don Conroe was told, and it was kind of like, like it was part of a cult in terms of that he gave him what was called a hookum. He said to him, it's the 1960s, San Francisco is fucked on drugs. I need you to go out there with your gong, with all this kundalini, and go and heal the addicts, right? So that was back in the 60s. So I heard that, and I just thought, oh, great, wonderful, brilliant. Got a gong, started practising the gong, and, uh, and that's what I do. And... Uh, for me, it's like I'm a channel. When I'm playing gong, right, I'm there. I'm grounded. I'm in the moment. I'm watching everybody, seeing how they're laying, how they're breathing, any twitching, any, any kind of irritable restlessness and discontent. Now, that is uh, what we call um, people when they're not drinking and drugging. That they're restless, irritable and discontent without a program. So I work in, in, in the... Uh, therapy centers with people that are in that state hypervigilant so i guide them through yoga nidra breathing intention setting and then rather than me playing gong i'm not kind of like like doo -doo 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 -doo, you know i'm not up the front there doing that i i the gong plays me in a way that it kind of like the energy from the people comes to me and then it is transmuted back through the gong and out as a healing life force so uh yeah i'm just a channel it, it, in a way it's like being uh being a, on a shamanic journey it's like right we're starting where are we going with this i always think of like um the gong as the under the gong right under the gong it's a subconsciousness and in that subconscious mind is where all our kind of illnesses and diseases can come up they lie dormant so i always give that a good rattle do you know what I mean I don't know for me the rattle is my tool I love a rattle it all started back in in the 70s when I got my first maracas from Mallorca and I still use them today in my sound healing kit 
So I start the rattle and then I just, I let go. I'm in that moment with those person, healing, exercising all the darkness. And then hopefully they will sink into what is kind of like a premeditative state. Lots of people go to sleep. That's it. Oh, just went to sleep. Nothing. But the effects are still the same. Some people, they go off on a journey. You know, they're uh, seeing things, hearing things, smelling things. You know, it can be multi-sensory. But the, the response that I get back is that it is so bloody useful. Early days recovery. But now we know, I know you do gong baths, and I think I've come and done a gong bath at yours as well. Mm. You know, more and more people are needing sound healing, vibrations. So that is, like, super, super powerful. I think I, last time I was in a gong bath, I had this, I often go to all kinds of weird places. I have, like, conversations happen and and all this stuff god knows what's going on i don't i don't need to know but i had this sense of the gong is the universe speaking to the people and so everybody's hearing something different because they all need to hear something different but i very much felt like the universe was talking via the gong via that it was like a, a tool as kind of the sense that i got i think it's incredible love a gong. I, 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 for me it's that connection to sort of my innate self i would suggest you know something beyond any kind of logic and i think for me what what it does is it just releases stuff that's maybe been held in that space or kind of stuck that's tried to get out and maybe has got stuck because of the way that you know someone's treated you or something you might have done where you've blocked your innate self and you've kind of pandered to other people or you've covered yourself up in some way and to me it kind of it lets me get back to that true self mm. yeah I think if you think about like when we're in in utero and we start to hear our mum's heartbeat so we begin to resonate with that rhythm and that rhythm of the heartbeat can slow us down so literally you can gong a heartbeat and get everybody's heartbeats in alignment and then that, like, you know, the soothing sounds of, you know, your, your parents or guardians singing to you, soothing, you know, like nursery rhymes and lullabies. So for me, sound is the way that I, I, I find the most healing at the moment. I've just started. Here we go. I have a hang pan. <laughs> oh, I, want one. I want one of those. And um, I've just started picking this up. It's an impromptu amp, and I didn't know I was going to do this. Anyway, there's me on the hand pan, but I just, it's like um, anything in life, you know, that, that can be kind of um, creative. I think there's a, there's a thing saying now uh, that, you know, uh, you need to expression for depression you know that idea that if we're not expressing ourselves we are stuck and I think sometimes the the sound of the gong and all the other kind of twinkly bells and chimes and rattles and like the sound of the ski that's the sea it can take people on a journey back into into memory when they felt safe when they felt calm and they felt cleansed and purified on the other side it depends who's playing gong it can be really traumatic 
you know, it can be too much. It can be too overwhelming. So I always keep my eye on everybody to see how, and, you know, there might be somebody over there saying, I want it louder, bigger, better, more. And there might be somebody over there saying, no, I really need this very, very subtle today. And I know that they're feeling that because their eyes are open. You know, they're too scared to close their eyes. Sometimes I have a lot of people that have had drug-induced psychosis, so they will not take their eyes off of you. They will watch me intently for the whole hour, piercing through me. I'm watching them. Oh, my God. I'm looking out after them, looking under, rattling them and all around them. And then the next time that they'll turn up for the gong, they'll say, okay, this is that woman, the mad one that teaches yoga and and gong. And I feel safe with her now. I'm going to close my eyes. So that's when I know that people are beginning this, coming back to surrender, letting go. In, In recovery, we call it surrender to win. And what we're winning at is we are letting go and letting God. How beautiful. Thank you, Lisa. Um, can I just say, Daniel, can you cut out the bit of the hand pan? Because that was just like an impromptu. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're unedited, Lisa. So. <laughs> well, I'm, ha- I'm happy to have a record deal if anybody wants to. <laughs> <laughs> so you've probably kind of answered this, but it's a question that we ask everybody. And so how do you take care of yourself while you're doing all of this? work on yourself but then also supporting other people who are in you know the depths of despair some of them or depths of you know coming out or dealing with their recovery you know how do you how do you deal with all of that on a day-to-day basis so every day I wake up I let these two annoying little lap dogs out and I sit in my garden rain or shine winter summer and I connect with nature And at that time, I kind of listen to the birds and I watch the robins and whatever else is going on out there. So I kind of get grounded in nature. Then I go back into my home, either back to bed or back onto my mat, and I do my prayer and meditation. And that involves what is called uh, step 11. And step 11 means that just for today, please use me. Please make me as useful as possible. You know, make sure that I am, you know, being a channel of peace rather than a channel of insanity. So I kind of set my day up, hand my will and life over to the care of God. Then I jump in my car and I've been practicing Ashtanga again for about three years now with Joe Kemp. And I know you've had her on one one of your uh, podcasts. So um, Ashtanga Yoga Essex, I'm doing that. That, again, is me feeling strong, feeling stable, feeling balanced. Um, Feeling like, you know, as we get older again, you know, like I want to keep in good alignment physically. It's important. Then I might be off and running, doing meetings, helping others, working in rehabs, doing one-to-one sessions and whatever else. Um, Recovery, definitely. I've got a home group in Southend, which I go to every Thursday. I do Zoom meetings as well online. And then I started swimming again. So I know we've done a little bit of cold water swimming, but I'm back at the swimming pool. And uh, when I'm swimming, I do uh, I do mantras. Uh, uh, so I, go, I feel like with swimming, you, you know, you're, you're, you're in there for an hour. You know, you've got your swimming goggles on. Nobody talks to me. I don't talk to anybody else. And I just like that calling down and calming down period. What else do I do? 
gardening. I'm a massive gardener. Uh, dancing, tribal dancing. Shall I carry on? I mean, this is me being <laughs> boring and glum. And a lot of magical stuff in between. <laughs> sounds, it sounds like a life well lived, Lisa. It is, Don. It is. I mean, I'm 50 in June and uh, I've been thinking today, all the day, all day long, really. It's like, you know, where am I going? What do I want? And it's kind of like action, adventure and exploration. So it's kind of like it's a really kind of exciting time and a new beginning. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. We, I let you run over. We've run well over an hour. There was more to talk about, wasn't there? So um, thank you for giving of your time so generously. And it's been lovely to have you on. We'll need to do it in person very soon. Thank I'm you. Gonna, thank I'm going to pass us back to Daniel to finish off our podcast. Thank you, Dawn. Yeah, a huge thank you to Lisa. Um, Lisa's been a really good friend of mine and it's just lovely to have you on here and yeah we've had some proper good laughs over the years haven't we while we've been in been holding each other in various points of despair <laughs> and I, I drag you swimming <laughs> and actually the the funny thing about Lisa and I is it always revolves around food doesn't it wherever we go we're like where can we have chips <laughs> Yeah, it's really hard to get a bag of chips in Marlebone, though, isn't it? I mean, absolutely, yeah. You have to get posh chips, didn't you? <laughs> well, you, you, you can buy me the next bag of chips with a big wally. That's what you're on for next. Okay, day. okay. <laughs> we do we do a South End one though. <laughs> no, thank you so much for being here today, Lisa, and just sharing that. I think it's important um, for people that have listened today. How can they? Um, get in contact with you, but also with AA as well. Would you just like to let people know? Yeah, so Alcoholics Anonymous, NACA, any addiction that you've got, if you Google whatever addiction it is, it will come up. So there are meetings day and night, 24 hours a day on Zoom, and there are face-to-face -face meetings as well. And what that means that at the moment we have the COVID restrictions, so there's only 12 social distancing, mask, disinfectant. So that's, that's all good. You can still go to meetings. Uh, for me, I'm in a, in a weird place. I'm in between everything. <laughs> in terms, I don't have a website. I don't try, I'm not doing as much Facebook, social media or anything like that. But what I do have is an email. I think you've got that, haven't you? And yeah. I have a phone number. I have a, a mobile phone and um, I'm in Rayleigh, Essex, United Kingdom. <laughs> when, when this podcast goes out lisa we'll just put your email on there so people yeah. can contact you if you're comfortable with us doing that so yeah yeah i i am comfortable with people doing that and like uh, what i say to people is it's like probably what you do with yoga therapy you know if you if you want a session just have a chat maybe five ten minutes and see if it's right for you i'm, I'm happy to do that yeah absolutely brilliant thank you so much lisa for today thank you um, so, Dawn, it's quite sad, actually. This is our last podcast of the series, isn't it? So um, what an amazing series we've had. It, we was only supposed to do a few, and we've ended up doing, I think, about 20. <laughs> it's, been, we, it's been amazing. And we said earlier today when we were chatting, it was on a wing and a prayer, and we kind of learned as we've gone. And, and we're really excited for our next season, which is 
it, I don't want it to get too professional because that wouldn't be us, but it will be a little bit, a little bit different slightly. Still with some incredible conversation. Well, we're going to start recording again in September, but you're probably listening to this and it's probably midsummer at the moment. So um, I hope you enjoy the rest of the summer because that's probably when it's going to go out round about next. Um, and Dawn and I are really grateful for you listening. Um, you can find us on the Apple podcast app. Please do leave us a review. Um, if there's anything that you want to share with us, any feedback you want to give us, then please do let us know because we really, really want to grow um, with your feedback and your guidance. So thank you so much for listening. And until the next season, we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye now.